Welcome to episode 32 of the Goblin Trash Masters. Today we're talking all about sideboarding and even a little bit about the simultaneous realization that none of us have ever been to a Sizzler. I'm Kyle, joined by my partners in crime. Say hello, Ashley. Sizzler or Red Lobster? Say hello, Anthony. We're going to do a bit from Beyonce's formation in this episode. Oh God, please don't sing. Just let's talk some trash. Do y'all remember MySpace? Because I, I watched Kick-Ass recently, and they were talking about how Kick-Ass had a uh, MySpace page with a ton of friends, and I am very aware of how old I am now, and I hate it. I try to forget MySpace as much as I can. Yeah. Remember how there were, there were those like scammers <laughs> towards late-stage MySpace that just kind of existed around and sold like fake hair extensions to scene kids and just ripped them off? To rip off the scene kids. What a time to be alive. Do you remember any of that? Oh, I do. Oh, yeah. Yeah, okay. No. Like six of them <laughs> were just me and my sister selling hair <laughs> extensions that never existed. I Love never it. had a MySpace. What? <laughs> Tom was never your friend. Come on. All right. Yeah. Sideboarding and magic. That's the topic for this evening. <laughs> we're just tackling all the difficult things in, in Magic the Gathering. We talked about breaking serve, and now we're talking about sideboarding, which... It's pretty difficult. Sideboarding is arguably one of the hardest things to do in the game. I think that magic is a pretty tough game by default. You need to cover a lot of bases. You kind of need to be able to, most decks, especially in the mid-range part of the spectrum, need to be able to interact with their opponent profitably mm. in a lot of different circumstances. And you probably just aren't going to be able to cover all your bases with 60 cards. So in magic, you have access to 75 cards in order to do it. That is your main deck plus a 15-card sideboard. So after game one, you can bring in cards from your sideboard to alter your deck construction to help tune your deck a little bit more for an individual matchup, right? Originally, mm -hmm. this was in there so that there could be some deck construction element to magic while you're playing competitively. You know, mm -hmm. a lot of people, when they first kind of start in competitive space, they will sideboard not at all or way too little. Like the idea of like changing your deck like you're trusting that this deck that you are playing is functioning and you're just like, this is an opportunity for me to make it not functioning and they don't want to change it. Right. And then they overcorrect and change way too much. They're boarding in like 10 cards every matchup. Way too much. Yeah. And that just makes it harder for you to execute your deck's game plan if you've just got a million interactive pieces in your aggro deck, right? That was where I fell most recently. Was the oversideboarding <laughs> side of things? Yeah. I think yeah. I went very quickly from just like not looking at it to being like, oh, these cards will help me. And then yeah. just <laughs> took so many of them and just like, it's like all uh, these cards will help me. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just like, it's very easy to fall into the, this is what I lost to. I need to be able to beat it. But mm -hmm. the bad thing about that is you end up bringing in like removal spells against control decks yeah. because you don't want to lose to their finisher creature. No, that no. game was lost way before that yeah <laughs> right i have never taken the full 15 though except for the time i accidentally shuffled the sideboard in well there are there are cases where you do just shove your whole sideboard into your deck and that's when you play against mill please don't do that <laughs> yeah you shouldn't do it but you can <laughs> <laughs> yes so fun thing about sideboarding is you are not obligated to keep your starting deck the same number as it was Back in the day, you did have to do that. It was one in, one out, right? Mm. You can go up from 60 to 61, mm. okay. but obviously you can't go below 60. And, you know, you can't go from your 61 card special down to a 60 card main deck for game two. So a big thing about sideboarding is that the games two and three are not the same as game one. And that sounds like really obvious, I think. Like, yeah, no shit. They've got sideboarded cards in them. But the texture of those <laughs> games is going to play out really differently. And that's because everyone's deck skews a little bit more interactive and less linear post-sideboarding. Whereas you might just not have an answer to, you know, enchantments at all in game one. You board that in and all of a sudden you do have interaction for that. You can meaningfully interact with your opponent in game two and three in ways that you wouldn't be able to in game one. And that's true for your opponent too. So when everybody gets to be a little more interactive, the games tend to slow down and there's a little more back and forth, 
which brings me to my like main point is that you when you're sideboarding you're trying to beat your opponent's game two deck you're not trying to beat their game one deck. and while they're the same deck and they've got they should have the same game plan ish you want to be ready to beat what they are going to change into not what they were the game before what do you all think about that uh, i love it because that's like that's i think it's a level up moment where you realize that not only are you boarding for your opponent but your opponent's boarding for you and their deck is going to change like not fully or anything like that but they're gonna like you're playing against a graveyard deck you're gonna bring graveyard hate in they're gonna be bringing something to combat what you're bringing in it's gonna be the same game plan in a sense but the deck is and the games and the texture of those games are going to be different i really love that point of like it's you know you're still playing against the same deck but each player is more interactive it's going to go longer you're both boarding in things to help your game plan but also combat what your opponent is doing and Mm -hmm. you know it's 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 how you learn how to sideboard over time it's not just something you learn just like oh yeah i got it you got to play some games sideboard correctly incorrectly and learn from it yeah, right. a, a really good example. Let's say you're playing Dredge in Modern, okay? And you're going to game two. You need to sideboard in some of your nature's claims or whatever disenchant effect you have to answer your opponent's ley line, to answer your opponent's graft digger's cage, to rest answer your peace. opponent's rest in peace, whatever, right? You need to have access to that. But what sort of effect do you think that has on your ability to dredge with high velocity in games too do you think that makes it faster and easier for you to fill up your graveyard or do you think that slows it down i mean we would slow it down right of course of course it slows it down because you're taking out cards that your game one you're just trying to do your thing as quickly and as linearly as possible and then game two you're taking out some of those linear pieces and replacing them with interaction so that is a real i like that example because you need as dredge in that scenario you need to beat your opponent's game two deck that has hate in it and you mm-hmm. need to acknowledge that you are not going to be able to do your thing as quickly as you were game one you are literally slowing yourself down to be able to interact in a more meaningful way yeah like you're slowing yourself down i like how you say that not taking out what your deck does and like completely you're not just switching to like a mid-range type deck or anything you're mm-hmm. still dredge you're going to be a little slower but you're going to be able to combat all the hate that's going to be brought in. And I love that you bring up that example because that's the exact same example I was thinking of when you when you were talking about this in sideboarding. Mm-hmm. Like my, the first thing that came in my head is the dredge matchup. Yeah, I, I think it's a really good example because it's one that very clearly illustrates. And again, yes, talked about this before, like for the sake of examples, a lot of the time we go to like extremes and absolutes mm-hmm. to act as an example. And that's because, you know, Dredge doesn't care about what you're doing. But if you have like a piece of graveyard hate in there, Dredge doesn't function until they get to remove it. You know, so that's that's a bit of an extreme. But I think it's a really good way to kind of visualize how that how that works and what that's actually doing. Mm -hmm. But Ashley, with your experience in sideboarding for in an aggressive deck, because you've been spending a lot of time with that mono white aggro deck lately. Right. What sort of cards do you find that you're bringing in a lot? Like, what are some of the more popular cards you're like, hey, these come in in a lot of matchups? My most common ones right off the top are Portable Hole and another copy of Ossification most of the time. Okay. I think that's mm-hmm. a really good example. So, like, yeah. how do you feel like that relates to what we're <laughs> what we're saying right now? Yeah. Well, because instead of playing one mana creature on turn one, you might be playing Removal in Mono Green Devotion. Or against monogreen devotion. So like they play an elf, you take the elf instead of playing your creature. So or I, you know, on turn two, you have to instead of playing two, you're playing a removal. And then that's ideal, right? Playing a removal and then playing a creature. So you're still advancing yourself. But yeah, with other things like blue white control or Raxac, like thinking about them bringing in sweepers against you, Mm -hmm. what things don't matter in your deck for taking Mm -hmm. out cards is helpful too. So just a couple examples. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like yeah. what you said with like uh, portable hole and ossification because it is also the point that we made where you're cha- you're not changing your deck fully. You're kind of like taking a step back, being more interactive. You're not mm-hmm. fully transitioning into a mono white mid range deck, but you're bringing in some more mid rangey cards. You're bringing like removal or like a wedding announcement for you having to draw the game out, but still. 
be that mono white aggressive deck. You're not changing the fact that you're an aggro deck. You're just having more interaction and having answers for all the questions that, like, say, your mono green opponent is giving you. Mm -hmm. Right. And oh, a common question that you'll get asked oftentimes early in people's magic playing careers is, I am boarding this card in all the time. That means I should have it in my main deck, right? And the answer to that is no. Because like Ashley talked about, Ashley, you are bringing in removal spells a lot of the time in this mono white deck. Does that mean that they should be in your main deck? And I'd say no, because you're bringing in those removal spells so you can continue to hang in the game when the game slows down and gets more interactive. Mm -hmm. Because yeah. game two and game three are just going to be more interactive than game one. I would not want Portable Hole in my main deck. No. 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 It would be awful. Great sideboard card. Don't put it in your main deck. Yep. I got main deck Portable Hold playing Mono Green. Somebody main deck portable hold me on one. Was it mono white? Blue white control. Oh, blue white? Yeah. Really? Weird. And a fun interaction was they then cast Farewell, named all modes. Huh. And then the artifact got exiled and the elf came back <laughs> and then the elf became exiled. What? It's because it's how it's the order of how farewell is worded and the fact that portable hole says until portable hole leaves the battlefield mm -hmm. so the yeah. elf is back while farewell is still resolving so that it was had so much hope so that was fun that it got murdered he's like i'm out of this hole oh god uh oh shit! it's just that willem dafoe meme of just him staring up into the sky oh but anthony speaking of portable hole i too i, I was playing some like grixis pile or whatever just for fun and K Command was in my main deck. And I got, I was playing against Mono Blue Spirits, and I was able to shatter the portable hole with my Blood Tide Harvester and kill their Spectral Sailor when they activated to draw a card. Oh my God, it felt so good. I'm I was draw real a card. worried about where that was going. It'll get darker, don't worry. Pay for, <laughs> draw a card, in response, three for one you. Mm -hmm. And then Wall of Roots showed up. Talk about the hole getting darker. Oh my God. If only you could see Anthony's face. Oh, God. I'm unhappy with myself. I'm unhappy with you all. I'm unhappy with the world. Yeah, what else is new? <laughs> I need you to remember that you started the Wall of Roots shenanigans. That is true. No, I didn't. It was you. But you're Why Ashley. You, you weren't specific. Ashley. He's looking at me. It's okay. always that, that. That I don't know why I try. He's Kyle, still. back me up on this. Yeah, it was no. definitely, it was definitely oh. Ashley. You know, she that. murdered that dog, too. Yeah. This is going to live forever. It's, Correct. It, it's going to never die. Unlike that dog. Um, you good old Grixis, two for one. When we say she got that dog in her, we mean it's the dog that Kat Ashley killed because she ate it. <laughs> it she please. thought it was barbecue. Oh, man, I love Peep Show. <laughs> Sideboarding theory. Yeah. So, in general, I think that there are certain matchups like that dredge matchup where you have your silver bullet sideboard cards, right? These are like sideboard cards that you put them in. Like if you see these cards, your opponent can't do their thing. Like this effectively stops them in their track. Add that sizzle. It's a sibilance sound, Kyle. <laughs> okay. Sizzle sounds cooler. Yeah. I know you grew up in South Dakota. Don't talk to me about how cool the sizzler is, Ashley. We know how you feel about this. What? Like the restaurant, the Sizzler. I know it's a real nice place to go out and eat. I've never heard of this. What the hell are you talking about? Oh my you don't god, know did what I make Sizzler up a whole is? No. Wait, are you for real? You don't know what Sizzler is? Okay, no, no it is a real restaurant. Thank you. Yeah. God. It's I a was real very restaurant. scared. I was very scared that I had imagined it. Maybe it's it like shenanigans. Make it all the way to South Dakota. That might have been the case. I'm looking up their 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 map now. Find a Sizzler. Google, find a Sizzler. <laughs> That's That sounds weird. Okay, no, there are no Sizzlers in South Dakota. Okay, I'm glad it's not just what about uh, shenanigans? Or Wyoming. What do y'all um, have out there? Nothing. Depression. Ooh, seasonal yeah. affect disorder. You yes, can't go to Flavortown in South Dakota. Actually, they're mostly no. on the West Coast. It's not even the Midwest. No, no. The, the the easternmost one is is in western New Mexico. Wow, yeah, that's there's a Sizzler in Gallup, New Mexico. It closes at eight p.m. Oh my god! <laughs> I mean, it's the Sizzler. So like, the Sizzler does not have any sizzle. What about Red Lobsters? Where are there Red Lobsters near here? Them biscuits. There is a Red Lobster in South Dakota. I think Red Lobster is fucking disgusting. Yes, it's not great. I mean, what were you expecting? What? I I. I honestly, very limited, but I was still disappointed. My expectations were so low. 
and I'm still and yet disappointed. You still failed. Having a seafood restaurant in a landlocked area very far away from a coast is just a bad plan. Yeah. I honestly thought it was fucked awful. I've eaten there like twice and I just don't get why people pay money for it. Well, people like, suck. It's <laughs> not good. Like you can just get Captain D's for so much cheaper and it's just way better. You just eat trash. Captain D's gang. Captain D's. Eat D. Oh no, that was my that was a card I was trying to bring up. Epiphany at the Drown Yard is a really good sideboard. <laughs> oh my god. All right. I'm I'm we've gotten to the point where I'm now Googling for red lobster locations west of the Mississippi. And <laughs> that feels like a lot of work. We're at that point of the episode. <laughs> yeah. So my personal approach to sideboarding is not take out bad cards, put in good cards. Like I don't think that's a terrible way to sideboard, and you're gonna be correct a lot of the time. And if you're wrong, it's not by much. Right. Mm -hmm. My personal idea of how sideboarding works is I like to kind of imagine how those post board games play out. And then I like to think about the post board games that I end up winning and what those games look like. And then think about what sort of gameplay is happening in those games. And then I use the sideboard to construct my deck to support that game plan. And if that game plan is stick a Delver, counter their first two spells, and then just try and limp across the finish line with whatever burn spells I can find, then that's my plan. Right? Mm -hmm. right then i add stuff that 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 contributes to that i don't bring in like three mana card advantage spells to help me with that matchup because that is not the that's not my game plan mm -hmm. um if my game plan is to in esper legends for a minute was i wanted i was just like okay these sideboard games that i'm winning against these sweeper decks end up being i resolve like a two drop and a rafine and then just attack them, make them play to the board, and then counter their sweepers. Mm -hmm. Which means that in these controlling decks, I'm not necessarily bringing in, I'm not like boarding into Gix and stuff like that. Like I'm not trying to like just out card advantage. Mm -hmm. I have a plan for what the games I'm winning look like. And then I try to adjust my deck to match that game plan. Makes total sense. I'm more of a, like when I sideboard, like it's, it's similar to Anthony, but you sideboard guides in the past and like gone mm. with like this is my game plan i'm gonna go from there but i have the memory of a goldfish so sometimes having a sideboard guide i don't use it just as like me following it it's more of like a reminder of like these are the cards you, you want in these matchups and i don't follow what is gospel you know i don't just only board in what is on my sideboard guide mm -hmm. yeah i, you, I like that how about you ashley so in your small amount of tournament play playing how, how is sideboarding been with you because i know you have enjoyed having a sideboard guide i do i i am a fan i side with the guide haha <laughs> <laughs> um i so for me where i am i like being able to default to changes i've we've already i've already thought about right mm -hmm. that i've already written down i've i've tried to think about this in advance like what those games might look like that sort of thing so then i have it written down and i can think about gameplay instead so then I can mm -hmm. look and say, okay, this is what I want to take out. This is what I want to put in. And I'm good. But to points previous, sometimes those lists aren't exactly what you prepped for. Sometimes those cards have changed a little. So I've been trying to think about it actively during games as well. So mm -hmm. then I can look at it. I can see like there's different versions of a blue-white control right now. Sometimes it's not just blue-white. Sometimes there's Bant or Esper, and so they have different cards, and I can think, Sometimes okay. Sometimes they're playing fucking Lotus Field. Yeah, fucking apparently. Fucking strict Proctor, yeah, like all that yeah. nonsense. And so you think about it, and you're just like, okay. And in that, at that point, I think I tend to try to sideboard a little less mm -hmm. and mm. just go with, okay, I think my deck is running a little bit It'll run a little bit better as it is with just a little bit less in there. I don't need as much tech. Just try to ask myself those questions as I'm mm -hmm. going through. So another thing that can happen and has happened to me recently, playing an aggressive deck, sometimes you don't see a lot of their deck in game one. If you're playing like a blue-white control or things like that, they just aren't playing much because they see your white creature come down and they're ready to react to you instead. So then... In that case, I definitely sideboard a little less because I don't know what I'm working with. And yeah. so mm -hmm. then I'm just like, all right, I'm just going to do my game plan again. So let's do like the event to like you know, the caliber of your opponent. Like, are they playing a stock list? Are they not? Is it spicy? You know, if you don't see a lot of their main deck cards, you really can't. But if you're at like a 
like say an RC or an even RCQ, you're going to expect to see pretty stock lists. So even mm-hmm. if you don't see everything from blue white, you're like, it's blue white. I know what's in it. More so yeah. if you're in the winning bracket. Yes. Yeah. You'll see mm-hmm. more real lists and stock lists mm-hmm. when you are, when you win your first two rounds, you'll see more of that. And you're more likely to see off the wall stuff that is just like not working if you like lose round one and two. Yeah. That's just the way it breaks down. So I pretty rarely have an active sideboard guide for myself. Mm. Uh, I just kind of decide in advance what goes in, what comes out, and then just kind of go and read that list in my brain when I need to. But for the most part, I try to keep myself active and meaningfully participating in that constant tug of war of what is my role in this matchup? What is my game plan? What is my opponent's game plan? The games that I'm winning, what do they look like? What needs to be in there to help me achieve that? And I, I kind of go with that a lot more often, even with larger events. I very rarely have a, a written out sideboard guide. Mm. But and the reason the reason I don't personally love a sideboard guide anymore uh, so much for myself is that if I'm playing like blue eye control and my opponent is just playing around settle the wreckage game one and I don't have it in my main deck, I'm probably not going to sideboard in my settle the wreckage. Mm-hmm. like as an example. But something that Ashley mentioned that I think is really, really, really cool is there are games where you just don't get to really see anything from your opponent. You see basically nothing from them and they concede to withhold information from you, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you don't know what's going on. That in and of itself is sometimes information. That's a good point. So in general, if your opponent is like, I can't beat this, I'm going to concede to conceal information you've played Athalia, you can probably assume that it's going to be like in Pioneer, if they're like conceding to Athalia, you probably want to be thinking what sort of decks can't beat Athalia in this format. There's not a lot, but it's not a ton. ton, But these are the kinds of things that you can glean information. A place where this is super relevant in my mind is Legacy, right? Like, if you're playing Legacy and you go turn once Mother of Runes turn to Thalia and they concede to that, you're probably thinking at yeah, yeah, ad nauseum, tendrils, mm-hmm. the epic storm, one of the storm decks, right? That can you can glean information from all sorts of things. They kept this one lander. Therefore, they're a deck that can keep a one lander and still compete, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Knowing yeah. what's going on. And being able to ID stuff like that makes a big difference in your ability. And you can sideboard based on that information, right? Like if, Ashley, to bring it back to your example, you are playing this mono mono white aggro deck and you see some lands, let's say it doesn't matter what color lands they are for now. And you you curve out, you go powerful one drop, powerful two drop, Adeline, attack. And your opponent just like concedes the game. Yeah. What does that tell you about the deck that they're playing? I mean, I think it would tell you that they don't have a removal or an interaction right at least in the, so that that tells you a bit about their hand right mm-hmm. yeah so what is that information that you because that's correct you've gleaned that information about their hand what does that information about their hand tell you about their deck you can probably glean from that that they're not a deck that's very good at playing from behind yeah right yeah you can probably assume that they're not a deck that has a lot of interaction mm-hmm because if they had a way to kill the Adeline, they'd probably take a draw mm-hmm. step and see if they could kill the Adeline and stay in the game. Right. So what decks do you know of in the for- in the Pioneer format that might fit that description? Another aggressive deck. Well, they haven't added anything to the board. So they wouldn't the have, yeah. Yeah, it might be like a, a non-functional draw from, uh, from an aggressive yeah. deck, but I'm inclined to not think it's a very aggressive deck. Yeah. It might be just be a deck that's not very good from playing from behind. And it's not an aggressive deck, so we're probably thinking, this is probably some sort of combo deck, right? Okay. Yeah, that makes- This would be like Lotus Field, or mm-hmm. you know, some, or like even even the Lotus Field control deck could be yeah. on there. Just something like that's really slow, wants to have the game go long, but has to get past like the turn three, in a sense. That so, just really can't come back from that. So just connecting it all together, the information you have in the game tells you about their hand Mm -hmm. and the information you glean about their hand tells you about their deck and the information you glean about their deck informs you on how to side obviously you're going to have way less perfect information when your opponent hasn't shown you a lot 
but that doesn't mean no information, right? Honestly, like, yeah, like it doesn't mean no information, but it also shows how hard sideboarding can be just with these examples of just Mm -hmm. absolutely like, like, hey, your opponent's showing you information that like, yeah, it has to be this. But this, it's it's just so difficult to catch those things when you're playing a game where it's just, you know, they're like the easy ones, like turn two Thalia, somebody concedes, like, okay, it's some deck that can't beat Thalia. If it's Legacy, it's most likely Storm. If it's Pioneer, there's a chance it's Lotus Field and they had a bad hand. You know, you're thinking combo. Mm-hmm. It takes a while to get there because sideboarding is difficult and finding out these little things that your opponent gives off is stuff and, and honestly you can use that to your your advantage as well like you can be the player just like nope i can't beat that let's concede let's see if my opponent thinks what i'm on like because mm-hmm. yeah. you know they could be totally wrong like oh it's it's a combo deck and then you go to game two and it's like oh it's not a combo deck they just had a really really bad hand yeah and in those situations if i've got a hint of what's going on i will sideboard as if uh, as if i'm right mm-hmm. And, you know, might be totally incorrect and you might have to change your sideboard plan for game three. But I like going for it. And if you think your opponent's on like Lotus Field, right, Mm -hmm. whether it's blue white Lotus Field or traditional Lotus Field combo, if my opponent does that and I'm playing mono white, I'm bringing in these fucking Redanes. Because at worst, it's a two, three flyer. at, At the bare minimum, you are playing against a deck where your opponent kept a hand that had no action on one, no action on two. And was not going to be Natalie. And mm-hmm. basically all of those decks, whatever it is, they're going to struggle with Redain. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, that just goes to show too, like another point for me to work on. The list keeps growing. Magic's but like <laughs> it never stops. By it the never way. stops. Yeah. <laughs> well, and just the, I, I tell thinking... you, it gets better. It doesn't. Your decisions just get harder. Like Great. Sisyphus were bound to hell. Well, and the, it just goes to show like at the point where I'm operating, I apparently have not been operating at level two enough. To be able to look at an opponent enough times to assess what they're doing, to be able to remember that, right? Like not remembering the texture of games to remember, okay, those things tell me this information and knowing Mm -hmm. that would have helped Mm -hmm. me. Yeah. And it's 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 kind of like like Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? You have certain Mm -hmm. needs that need to be met before you can advance to higher needs in in the hierarchy. Right. Like you need to have like your 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 food needs met before you can worry about like your shelter needs. You know, just like moving on up yeah, the yeah. chain to like right. self fulfillment needs. Like you're not really doing self fulfillment stuff. If you are literally starving to death on the streets of Kolkata. Like yeah. those are those are the you have to meet needs at the bottom before you can move to higher order needs. And I, I have a I like to call it Anthony's hierarchy of not fucking up. Where there are times where as a player, if we're not operating on level zero, all of our level one decisions are terrible. Yeah. If we're yeah. not operating accurately at level zero we're not making informed decisions at level one. They're all just random choices because they're all built on the, they're all built on the assumptions we make the tier below it and level zero. So you're not making an accurate assessment of your own game plan. If you're not resolving your cards, correct. You're not accurately operating on level one. If you're not doing level zero correctly, which is just resolving your cards and you're not operating well on level two, which is advance your game plan and interact with your opponent's game plan. If, your level one decisions are wrong. So you need to start at the bottom and work your way up. And I think that sideboarding inherently is testing your decisions that are operating at level two, which Mm -hmm. when we say sideboarding is hard, it's because you have to do so much of all of this and usually with some amount of imperfect information. Yeah. Kyle, have you ever played something with a transformational sideboard? No, because they suck. Don't do it. I've done it. Oh, why? It's the way I view transform. They're just tra- shitty transformers. This transformable sideboards. <laughs> it's like, okay, look, I have this deck. It's a fucking monstrous robot. It's fine tuned. Now it's a Honda that's the same color. Like, yeah. why? Why change it? I don't so, get it. Oh yeah. So actually needs context. Yes. <laughs> so a, a transformational sideboard is when you, with the fifteen cards in your sideboard, inherently change the general plan of the deck. Let's say you transform your blue moon control deck in modern into post board. You're just like, ah, I've got a madcap experiment, this platinum Imperion into play. You're like, you're inherently changing what your deck does. You're saying like, like you're a control deck that boards into eight low to the ground threats and just say, okay, I'm an aggro deck now. And I really like that example of Transformers because I don't think you all were alive yet 
But <laughs> do all remember seeing probably in like thrift shops or whatever the fucking transformer toys? Mm-hmm. Okay. So you could like transform them into like a fucking robot or whatever, you know, or you could transform them down into like a car. But the thing was, they always looked like a fucking stupid car and they always looked like a fucking stupid robot. So Mm -hmm. transformational sideboards are combining elements of two decks to make them not quite as good as either. Yeah. Like if you have a if you have a control deck that transformational sideboards into an aggro deck, you probably have a shitty control deck that turns into a shitty aggro deck. Yeah. Don't do it. (laughs) I think they're dumb too. Like I don't care if that makes us not fun. Like, yeah, it, I'm usually the no fun police, Kyle. I'm surprised. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm the I'm the crazy brewer. And like, look, I I've played the Madcap uh, Platinum uh, deck, and but it wasn't out of the sideboard. I just played that deck and had a sideboard to help me. Like I'm not switching <laughs> back and forth. And you can have like I think a good example of something that people would think was like a transformable sideboard. But not really, I, I'd say, is the Pro Tour winning deck that Reed Duke uh, piloted, where mm-hmm. the only thing he's changing was like, okay, it's a different kind of combo deck. Yeah. It's still creativity, the, though. The it, core of it was it. still there. Yeah. The core of it was still there. It was just like, hey, I want to change things that creativity is putting into play. And that that's reasonable. That's valid. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have talked a lot about different sideboarding things, different sideboarding ideas, transformational sideboards, and why they're garbage. And there's just like some like basic tips that I think are good to walk away with. And they're going to be things that we've talked about already. Sideboard to beat your opponent's game two deck, not their game one deck. You can take out bad cards and put in good cards. That's fine. But you probably want to work on developing the skills you need to make a more substantive plan. And if you're not accurately operating at that level, a sideboard guide is great. I would recommend a sideboard guide Mm -hmm. for anyone that's like, that's like kind of climbing their way up through consistently operating at level zero all the way through consistently operating at level one. Like if you're in that space, then a sideboard guide is, I would say you should just have one at all times for every event. Oh, Kyle, you've done the one thing where you wanted to hide how many sideboard cards you were bringing in. Yes. So that's one thing you can do is just take your whole sideboard, shuffle it in there, and then just take out the 15 cards you don't want. Be sneaky. Mm hmm. Now, it's it's tough for Anthony and myself because we use perfect cards and our decks are huge, but, you know, yeah. we'll manage. <laughs> but that's another way to just kind of hide what you're doing from your opponent. Keep an eye on if your opponent had revealed a companion for game one and they are mm-hmm. not revealing it for game two. Now, in Paper Magic, if they reveal a companion in game one, it's assumed to be revealed for the rest of the match. The rule now. That is a rule. So people don't always do it. Mm-hmm. You should look and see if they've turned their companion face down. Like, are they cheating? Yeah, technically. Kind of. But like. Be aware. Make sure that you are sideboarding with that information Mm -hmm. in hand. Right. And if you do want a sideboard guide, you can print it out and either fold up a piece of paper or print it on the size of a magic card. And then you Mm -hmm. can just put it in a different color sleeve. Yes. And keep it in your deck. Yes, different color sleeve, but I've been I've I've done this with sideboard guides or just like he, like notes. And mm-hmm. this way, I'm not carrying around bulky pieces of paper that I know I know myself will lose. And this way, it's just in my deck box. I have it, and you can just take it out, lean it up against your deck box, read it. If it's a sideboard guide, go from there. Just like all right, in this matchup, this is what I'm worried about. It's just a nice, mm-hmm. clean thing to have while you play Magic, and it avoids clutter, which is which is great. Yep. Oh, the guide is too long for that. <laughs> yeah. A sideboard guide also, remember that you're allowed to consult that sideboard guide and any notes you have in between games. You can't have it out during games, games, but in between games, you're totally fine to have that. That's what I do. I keep Um, my folder and I keep it in my bag, pull it out, use it, read it, put mm -hmm. it back. Yep. It's I think it's I think it's pretty helpful to, to be able to do it that way. I think that having access to that information is super useful. It's super helpful especially if you're choosing to devote your mental energy to something else at that time, then a sideboard guide is a really good way to like lessen the load mm-hmm. on you. you know, like we've talked about with between the three of us, we all sideboard in different manners and have had different ways we've sideboarded all uh, over the entire time we've been playing magic. People sideboard differently, you know, whether it's sideboard guides, going with your gut, having notes memorized or having them with you, you know, and realizing you're going to fail, sometimes you're going to sideboard correctly or wrong. 
but just do it feels comfortable for you. Not everybody is going to have the same sideboard mm -hmm. plane or sideboard the same way. And that's not just like what cards you bring in, what cards you bring out, but just the preparation for it and how you do it in the moment. Everybody's different. Y'all ever passive aggressively sideboard? Oh, all the time. Yeah. I'll do it in game one. I like <laughs> in game one when my opponent's taking for fucking ever and the game is obviously over. Mm -hmm. When I'm losing and when I'm winning both, I'll take out my sideboard and start deciding how I'm going to sideboard in the matchup. Oh, I love it. Oh, no, I, I just <laughs> while they're just tanking, I'm just I'll just be thumbing through the sideboard. Like, hmm, like, this seems good. <laughs> I'll look at them and then go back to sideboarding and then I'll pull up a card and I'll look at them again and I'll put it to the back. Or... <laughs> oh, I've done it when I when I was losing. So for those of you who are listening for the first time. At the end of every episode, we like to do a little guessing game yeah. in which we have a theme for the guessing game and each of us pick a card and try and get the others to guess it. Now, we can give each other some cryptic hints as to what the card is that we're thinking of. Always cryptic. And if the always cryptic. <laughs> and if the other ones need some help figuring out what it is, they can always ask yes or no questions to help them get there. Our theme for tonight is our favorite sideboard card. And this, this is our favorite sideboard card of all all time. time like the one and that it just can be makes a... you feel so good <laughs> and and while this can be for any format i will give everyone listening the hint that we are smack dab in the middle of pioneer season right now mm -hmm. so i think for the vast majority of us pioneer is gonna be where our cards land at least for mine all right ashley do you have a card for us today i sure do uh, kyle what about you oh i got one beautiful Let's do a spinny wheel to see who is going first. Oh, God, oh. red lobster map. You got to keep them separated. The lobsters <laughs> and the crawdads have joined forces. Oh, no. It's the wheel of fate. We're all tied to it. It's more than just the guessing game. You know, I've gotten really, really into like, like, like the hyper pop end of emo trap music lately. Ooh, I'm about that. It's pretty terrible. I really am enjoying it. Let's spin. No All way. Right. Who go. is going first? We are spinning a wheel to find out. Oh, it's looking like you. It it's me, like you. fuckwits. All right. I can. We are guessing my favorite sideboard card of all time. Of all time. Okay. At least, at the very least, I will give you the hint that this is my favorite sideboard card of all time in Pioneer. Okay. Mm -hmm. And I will let you know that specifically, it hurts my opponent when they are trying to do something they feel is unassailably safe. Oh, man. So, Pioneer, is it in the Karn wishboard? It is not. Okay. Is it in Boros I felt like Karn. I felt like Karn board cards were cheating for this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. There, there were definitely some that popped up in my head, but yeah. I felt like we were... I felt like that would be a bit... Of, that, that felt a bit like cheating on account. Mm. They're like sideboard cards, but they're really main deck cards. So, it is not a part of the Boros Convoke sideboard either. Hmm. Is it in blue-white? Yeah. Is it a creature? God, no. Is it an instant? Of course. Does it say can't be countered? It doesn't. It okay. also does not care about that line of text. Okay. Ooh. In Pioneer. Yeah. Oh, man. You always knock it out of the park with, like, the unguessable ones that are yeah. so easily guessable. <laughs> <laughs> Less than three mana? Yes. And did you say it was an instant or no? Mm-hmm. So it's an, instant, it's an instant, less than three mana. So it's two mana? It is two mana. It's mana value is two. Mana value is two. And the blue whites, uh, my brain hurts. I feel like I'm going to feel real dumb when you say it too. It's really, really good against Storm the Festival, but that's not why it's in your sideboard. Does it tuck something? No, but it does move something from one zone to another zone. Like a zone on the battlefield? No. Is it about something? Phasing out. But, oh. No, it does not interact with the battlefield in any way. Okay. The stack? It does interact with the stack. So it's like not, a, it's not a counterspell. It's, it's like the, the remand text, return to hand type thing. Yeah, the reprieve text, because remand yes. doesn't work if you can't counter the spell. Yes, that's true. Oh, fuck. Oh, oh, I should know this. Oh, you all are going to be so I'm mad. Be so mad. It's one we see all the time, isn't it? Yeah. Yes. I will be. give you a hint 
uh, a final hint that I think will be very helpful. Okay. It is primarily a clean answer to thought distortion. The six mana uncounterable yeah. black spell that exiles all mm. non-creature, non-land spells from your opponent's hand and library. And when they cast it against you, you have this way to interact with it. God. I've not even seen Thought Distortion cast. This is this is y'all you, bro. Oh, no. I don't have... I'm only thinking of cards that do this, like, that aren't in Pioneer. Like, I'm trying to think of which one does it in Pioneer. Fuck these cryptokents. It's way bad. I, these are not cryptokents. They're not really cryptic. They're pretty spot on. <laughs> like, I'm just not getting it. So, it is it like a, a color hoser? Where, like, it's... No, nope, it doesn't that. care it's about just, the color. Just, just clean answer oh my god i'm gonna feel like a fucking what about moron anthony's favorite blue spells of all time are we playing this is they, up there are they playing narset's reversal in pioneer ding 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 yeah ding. yeah it's that is fuck, correct it's, it's narset's reversal of course it's that one god damn it fucking mad yeah you, you i'm just get, like, like i don't all... know the, i don't know the one in the yeah. deck but i know no. some of anthony's favorites so my god it's just because <laughs> none of none of your hints were cryptic they were all spot they on. They were they all aren't. perfect. Like, yeah, you should get it. <laughs> yeah, it, Narset's reversal just does not give a shit. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's really good against thought distortion, especially when like Lotus Field will sometimes have mm -hmm. thought distortion in their sideboard to bring it against you. Says this no is one you. of my. This is a perfect example of a card that's just you get to bring it in, and it advances your game plan. Right, it helps mm -hmm. you like mess with your opponent and extend into the late game where you have a really strong advantage. But it also wrecks their game plan, which is ramped a thought distortion, put a thought distortion on the stack, and they're like, fine, I'm free for, like, ever mm -hmm. now. You have nothing. And instead, you Narset's reversal to copy their thought distortion and then bounce the thought distortion back to their hand, at which point your copy of thought distortion resolves and exiles their thought distortion. It's so good. So, That's oh my god, beautiful. I feel so dumb for not getting this too. Also, That's impressive. I also feel I, I honestly forgot about this card too, but this just means I have to play more blue white again. No, because People then you're gonna aren't... like cycle a shark and then play wandering emperor and kill your own shark to gain two life and then murder me. <laughs> we had some wacky games when you played blue white, it was great. Always, all right, spin that wheel. Let's see who is going next between Ashley and Kyle. We got Ashley. It me. All right. Oh, well, y'all know which deck I play, so this one will be easy. Is it mono white? Yes. Is it wedding announcement? No. No, her sideboard card. I don't, you mentioned I, it, didn't you? I'm trying to think. Like, I know that she she boards in ossification a lot. A lot. That's a That's main it. deck card. Oh, it's is ossification. It ossification? <laughs> really? Yeah. Uh, ah, ah. Yeah, I do. Oh I do board that God. one in a lot. I portable hole and ossification are the two most common, and ossification hits to creatures and planeswalkers, and it's really sweet to hit. I think my favorite things to hit with it are old growth troll against oh, mono green, and that's a good Karn. one. Oh God, that's so gross. I love hitting Karn with that. It just feels so yeah. good. And then, and then your mono green opponent besages you, and you cry. Yeah, yeah. One of my things I like to do against mono white is Karn minus go get a haywire mite. Oh my god. Because the Haywire might can answer some of their problem removal spell enchantments and artifacts, right? Mm. Also, the Haywire might can block when brave. they brave the elements. Yep. Oh my god. It's the worst. And it gains two life no matter how it dies. So, like, it's just sometimes if, like, if I don't have a really clear line to victory and I'm just like, I'm going to spend the next few turns trying desperately to stay alive, that sometimes is the plan. All mm. right. And. Last but certainly least, Kyle. How dare. I know there's no That's excuse right, for me. That's right, you bitch. All right. Uh, Beyonce never took you to Red Lobster. That would be fun. That would be a hell of a story. Beyonce taking to you to Red Lobster. I would go. Beyonce has strict rules as to who and why she'll take you to Red Lobster. What were the rules for taking you? I think you need to Google Beyonce take you to Red Lobster. I don't want to. <laughs> I'm scared. You're going to do it. Of course it's a meme. It is. It's Flat Fuck Friday all over again. Oh my god. Oh, that's great. <laughs> oh my gosh. Lovely. Wonderful. I love how you just randomly think of this shit too. Mm -hmm. Again, I know we were talking about Red Lobster a lot, but still. Yeah. That's a callback. Words never leave Anthony's brain. Yeah. That's why he, that's why he remembers cards so well. I envy it. Mm -hmm. All right. But my favorite sideboard card. Mm -hmm. It 
is played. It has been played in every format it has been legal in and has been great in every single one of those formats except Commander. And it is, I have played it in Red Black, in Grease Fang, I've played it in Yawgmoth, I've played it in Death Shadow, I've played it in a ton of decks. Hmm. It's great on turn one, it's okay in the mid game, it's a terrible top deck sometimes. Is it a discard spell of sorts? It is. Is it a duress? It's not duress, but close do we consider also thoughts made, but yeah oh thought seize. yeah yeah okay okay i was just like i wanted to guess the rest before thought seize because well here like, it's it's a twofer it's duress and thought seize. like i just love both of those fucking cards there's something that hit i agree with you there's something that just fucking hits different about the sideboard discard spell versus the main deck discard spell oh yeah Ooh, there's something different about it it's mm-hmm. just it's just nicer it's you know like you can enjoy a succulent chinese meal or but that, that meal will certainly taste better if you've broken into your enemy's home and stolen it from them. Of course. A succulent you know? Chinese meal. For what? Enjoying a succulent Chinese meal? <laughs> so, Kyle, at least you and I have a really big weekend ahead of us. For those listening, it will be after the fact. Mm. Ashley, do we know where we're standing on this weekend? I was considering going to the 5K? 5K mm-hmm. on Sunday. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I think I'm going to give it a shot. Hey. Very nice. Yeah. Very nice. I, yeah. Love it. So I guess for context, we will be going to SCG Con Cincinnati. Very excited to be playing Very that. Exciting. Very excited to not be touching Legacy. Always a fan. Yeah. For Ashley, though, this is easily the, the biggest event you've mm-hmm. played in so far. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I know that because of how recording works, this episode will be releasing after mm-hmm. SCG Con. Mm-hmm. Some of you that are here may be very well here because you have seen our coverage. You have seen the SCG Con coverage, which included us, the Goblin Trashmasters, as a sponsor, proud sponsor yeah. of SCG Con coverage. If this is your first episode, I really hope you enjoyed it. And whether it's your first episode or your most recent episode or whatever we really want to thank you all so much for listening Mm -hmm. when we first started doing this it was a little less than a year ago i gotta be honest i told kyle i was like we have to be prepared for the likelihood that there's going to be like two listens to this every episode yeah and no one's going to give a shit about any of this and oh Um, boy i have been very surprised yeah at every step of the way i have been very surprised and i'm really happy that Ashley is willing to be here, join in as mm-hmm. a full host at this point, and yeah. just like really help. It, there, there's vulnerability in it, right? And documenting your progression in something that you're really new to. <laughs> yeah. Yes. And like, I think that there's vulnerability in it, and what you're doing would be difficult, Ashley, if everyone were like not making fun of you. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but unfortunately, you ended up with us. So, <laughs> I mean, I had to know, I knew what I was signing up for. Like, yeah. And now yeah. it's just, unfortunately, instead of it just being us at, you know, in a Friday night or a Monday night or whatever, it's now public for everybody. So Yeah, yeah everyone, everyone knows you killed that dog, not just those people in the bar. Yeah, yeah. So just so you all know, full disclosure, we're required to do it <laughs> by the law. By the law. Is the that law. Ashley murdered a dog once, <laughs> and she just sits here and laughs about it. Oh, just maniacally. There's no, there's no guilt. <laughs> There's, there's not, you can't see her face, but there is not a hint of guilt None. running across her face. None. Just joy and perverse pleasure in ending a life. You know how they say all dogs go to heaven? Well, <laughs> Ashley says, fuck that shit. This dog is going into my belly because she ate that dog. Oh no. It just are we me. calling, are this what we're calling heaven now? This? Fuck you dogs. Fuck you dogs. Oh man. But yeah, my initiation as a full host into the Goblin Trash. Oh, of course. And look, if you've stuck around enough and what and listened to all these episodes with us just talking about this nonsense, I I truly thank everybody who listens to our nonsense because it's been fun and I'm I'm glad we can help people, help ourselves learn things about magic and just get better and just improve. And it's been a it's been super fun. Like that's just been the best part. Yeah, it's been so much fun, and it's been nice to just kind of go in there. And like, we're all about make your mistakes, learn from your mistakes Mm -hmm. and getting in and recording these thoughts as a podcast has introduced me to a whole new world of things that I can fuck up. (laughs) And so if you do, if you are listening to this and you do decide that you want to give us a listen, please, please forgive the audio quality. 
if you start at the beginning. Yeah. Yes. Oh my God, please. We're, we we went through our growing pains too. But Everyone I think, does. yeah, mm. I think the big thing about all of this is that we are here. All of us, all three of us are aspiring members of the competitive magic scene. Mm. We're all in different places as to what we're doing, as to what our goals are, as to, to what we're working on personally. And we want to run face first into those walls and then pass that information on to you so mm -hmm. that that mistake is less painful for you. And I think that no matter where you are in your journey through competitive magic, if you are in that, hey, I am trying to move myself up from, you know, FNM 02 dropper to FNM end boss to RCQ end boss to to go and deepen your RC, I think basically anywhere along that trajectory, your experience with that process is our experience with that process. Mm -hmm. We're right there with we're you. We're right next to you. We're right in the trenches. We're right next to you. Yeah. Yep. And we're all we're all very growth focused. And if you think that very that's something so. that's interesting to you, then please give us a listen. I promise in between me making rants about movies that no one's seen in 20 years <laughs> there, there are some there's some useful concepts in there i promise yeah well we there's, there's some useful stuff it's great i think we've all grown as players in this as well as helping other people grow and hey i, I made it through all this mess with wall of roots you can too oh yeah <laughs> i've i've learned a ton from this like this has been a really fun ride to be you know going from a guest into actually mm -hmm. learning to play competitively and then actively getting to talk about these concepts all the time. Mm -hmm. And it's it's really fun. And I hope that a bunch of you are learning along with me. Mm -hmm. And also, please, I could use some some friends and allies against these nerds. No, nope, you're stuck <laughs> with us forever. In their, mm. in their constant, constant, I don't know. What do we call bullying. this? Bullying? Yeah, yeah, fuckery. it's just bullying. <laughs> the fuckery I signed up for, so, you know. Yeah, Ashley also learned that it's possible to get a chocolate cast of your own butthole made. The more you Anthony know. knows from personal experience. Well, yeah. Wait, not <laughs> everybody doesn't do that? That's not common? Have you never been in a relationship for Valentine's Day? What the fuck's wrong with you? <laughs> this is romance. Come on. They can't see they, my they, face, they, but I'm very scared. <laughs> romance is romance is truly dead. If you're not getting, you know, butthole chocolate. <laughs>